Well, we are going to look at 1 Corinthians 14. So uh, I don't know if y'all need to switch the Apple TV thing. That would be quite delightful. I'll engage again. I don't know why it's showing the display. But we're going to be 1 Corinthians 14. And we're going to look at verse 21. Actually, we're going to start in verse 20 to start. And I mentioned the other day that, uh, what was it, Wednesday was kind of part one to this. But I really barely got into any of it because a lot of it was review. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed the review. I, I mentioned sometimes that there are things I forgot to say something or I wanted to say something or I just wanted to kind of connect the dots. I know you're not here every Sunday and Wednesday, but I would love for you to be here every Sunday and Wednesday as much as you can. When it comes to verse 20, we reviewed a lot of this and I wanted us to, to get to verse 20 and to look at it a little bit more closely as we transition to this section. And it says, brethren. And of course, brethren, obviously, he's addressing the church. In the church, there are true, genuine believers. There are also false converts in this, but he's addressing the true believers. Brethren, I do not want you to think childishly. And we're talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, We're talking about in chapter 13... He says, you need to prioritize love in the church. Because when it comes to spiritual gifts, some of you are being like babies. Some of you are jealous of other people and their giftedness. So stop it. Remember, love is not jealous. Some of you are being lifted up and prideful. Well, love is not haughty. Uh, Some of you are being rude about it. Love is not rude, right? And he goes, on and on, and he talks about how love should be the priority. And then he speaks the rest of chapter 13, how specifically tongues and prophecy and knowledge says love will never fail, but those three, they will cease. They will go away. And then he talks about in chapter 14, prophecy in tongues, and it's not accidental. And he says the gift of prophecy we're looking at is receiving direct revelation and teaching, thus saith the Lord. And when you do that, it builds up and it edifies. But when you stand up and you speak jibber-jabber language to the church, or when multiple of you are speaking jibber-jabber language, ain't nobody know what you're saying. No one is edified and there's no good that's coming from this. In fact, when you misuse these spiritual gifts, that is evil. That is not what God has prescribed for his church. And he says, don't think childishly. Childishly can be good when we're talking about being innocent like a child, but it's bad when you think like how this church has been thinking. When you think how this church has been thinking, that's not good And especially when it comes to spiritual gifts. Instead of thinking childishly, I want you to be innocent of evil. Not evil infants. I want you to be innocent of evil. Think of that little precious baby. So innocent and sweet. And you want to protect and guide and all of that stuff. When it comes to your church, when it comes to you, you don't buddy buddy with evil. You don't allow evil. Come on evil, come on in. Evil, I want to get to know you more. Instead, I want to be as an infant to evil. Evil would be malice. 
ill will, wickedness, trouble. And unfortunately, their church services, there was evil going on. There was evil going on. But instead, be mature in your thinking. Mature, grown up, brought to its end, wanting nothing necessary to completeness. And you're like, look, give me a break. I'm 14 or I'm 18 or something like that. The time has passed for you to think in childish terms. You are to grow up in your sanctification in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're to learn and you're to be mature. You're not only supposed to understand and trust this information. You are to be the future leaders of the generation. Teaching others and modeling this truth to others. How do we tend to be childish in our thinking? Well, it could be doctrinally. We, we, we doubt God's sovereignty. We doubt his goodness and his mercy and we question him. In worship, we come to church and we're not fully invested and fully engaged. Or we're just here to look pretty. We're just here to rub elbows with our friends instead of worship the one true God. In everyday life, our, our pursuits are saturated with vanity and striving to be popular with a self-centeredness. We, we need to grow up and grow past that. And how are you striving to be innocent of evil? And I, I want you to turn to, to, to 3 John. 3 John. Because it is, yes, innocent of evil in your own personal walk in life. What you watch, what you think, what you say. But it is also in the context of the church. 3 John 9. And you will read this, I believe, on Monday in the reading plan. I wrote something to the church. But Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them. Diotrephes is a child. He thinks like a child. He does not accept what we say. So the apostles themselves have instructed Diotrephes. And he says, I know more than you. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words and, does, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth himself. We add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So you have this comparison and contrast. The first guy, Diotrephes, he's evil, but he's in the church, and he has an influence. You got to get rid of the evil. But the other guy, he's good. You want that, and you want that influence. So when it comes to spiritual gifts... Those that are habitually misusing spiritual gifts for their own pride, arrogance, and selfishness, they are what we would call evil. And you need to be innocent of evil. How are you actively pursuing maturity in your thinking? Getting older doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're like, I got older today, so I'm mature. That doesn't necessarily mean that. But what are you doing? These are some very difficult concepts. Even when I talked about the book of Mark, 
Some things, you know, the end of chapter 16 might have blown some of your mind. You're like, what's going on? What's happening here? You guys need to be students of the Word of God. And we're trying to help you in that. But in the end, you got to take it and you got to own it. And you got to grow and be mature in your thinking. Let's look now to the rest of this chapter. And we get some more information about the gift of tongues and about tongues and how it's utilized. Uh, we talked about how it's mentioned in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's mentioned in Acts. But then other than that, it's not really anywhere else in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have this reference from Isaiah. And it says this in verse 21. In the law, it is written. Well, where in the law? How could we possibly know? Well, we go over and our little footnotes tell us it is in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 28. In Isaiah 28, Isaiah the prophet is warning the people about future judgment. He's warning them about judgment. So that's where we see it. And what does Paul focus on? From that section, he wants them to know by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. What is the lesson that Isaiah wanted his audience to hear? It is a lesson of condemnation and confirmation, okay? What he's saying to them, hey guys, if you don't repent and follow Yahweh, you're going to hear some strange tongues. Well, who's he referring to? He's referring to the conquering nations. He's referring to the conquering nations. They don't speak your language and they're coming in and they're going to destroy you. And if you don't change, it's not a good thing. So in the Old Testament, tongues was associated with judgment. So when it is being utilized in the New Testament, and the person that doesn't speak that language hears this, they should think of what? Judgment. So we go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 Remember, Jesus had been crucified, that the whole, you know, city was calling for him to be killed. And he died and he rose again and he appeared and he interacted with the apostles and others for a period of days. And then on the day of Pentecost, Jesus had already ascended. The Holy Spirit comes down and they're now speaking the gift of tongues and these travelers hear the good news in their own language. And they also associate there's a strange language going on. How would they connect it in the Old Testament? Judgment. What, what am I being judged for? We killed the Messiah. We killed the Christ. That illustration is so appropriate because in Isaiah's day, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, when they heard those strange languages, they listened. And thousand came to know the Lord. But here Paul is saying, you need to realize that tongues is an evangelistic gift. It's not to be consistently and regularly practiced 
in the church, when Paul would travel to foreign lands, he would use the gift of tongues, and they're like, whoa, why is this, why is this Jew speaking our language? And they could hear and understand and communicate. But as the Jews saw this going on, they connected it with judgment. Connected it with judgment. When you look at tongues and prophecy in the New Testament, he says, so then. He gives them a reality. So then. Gives them a reality. The proper purpose of tongues. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people. And even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign. Not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Do you get this? Those that still believe that the gift of tongues are being used today. Is this how or why they use the gift of tongues? Could you get a more clearer purpose? Gifts themselves are used for the edification of the church, for the furtherance of the gospel. Tongues specifically are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. A sign is, is, is a token, it's a mark, it's an indication, it's a miraculous uh, attestation to the truth. That's what tongues is for. We see this in Matthew 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. And so during the age of the apostles, when the church was being formulated, the gift of tongues made people go... And it allowed the gospel to be shared with people that did not speak the same language. You think of Acts 2. Remember? All of them were like, what in the world is happening here? They all, it got all of their attention. All of them knew what was going on. But what other purpose could the gift of tongues serve? Look at verse 26. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm and a teaching and a revelation, a tongue and interpretation. For you guys, for some of you, tongues is a talent show, baby. You want to show your spirituality. You want to puff yourself up. It's not for a talent show. It is for the furtherance of the kingdom and the building up of the body of Christ. Let's look at the improper practice of tongues in verse 23. The improper practice of tongues. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together... And all speak in tongues, and the ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not all say that you are mad? That you are mad. <laughs> that ungifted men means unlearned, illiterate. It means amateurs. So if your church gets together and someone goes up and they start speaking in tongues, or... In today's modern charismatic movement, you all be speaking in tongues at the same time. And there's no proper interpretation of this. The unbeliever is going to go, you are weird. Are you crazy? But why 
is this so prevalent in the church? Why don't we call them out? Why aren't they considered mad? Well, it's just like the emperor's new clothes. And you don't understand how hard it was to find a, a book with him actually wearing clothes as opposed to something covering part of him. Because you know the story, right? The, the swindler comes in and the emperor loves his clothes. And so he makes him a new set and it ain't nothing. So he's out there in his birthday suit walking through. And everyone knows that he be naked, but they don't want to say anything because then everyone's going to look at them like they're dumb or the king's going to kill them. And it was one boy that was like, he's got no clothes. <laughs> look, they, they were mad. They were insane. But peer pressure, not that you would ever feel this. It sweeps you up. And there's a few verses that they'll pull out of context and they'll twist and they'll say, yeah, don't you believe in the Holy Spirit? You believe in the Holy Spirit? You believe in the Holy Spirit? This is what you should do. Don't you want to do this? Come on, come on, come on, come on. And uh, one of the middle school leaders was sharing, he grew up in a charismatic church and he was saying that the gift of prophecy was very similar, but it's more of like a gift of empathy. Like when someone walks in, I, I can sense you had a hard week. Well, duh, who hadn't had a hard week and, and things like that. But they call that the gift of prophecy. And that's another thing that they're all su supposed to be able to do. And, it, and, and I mean, it, it sounds cool, right? They kind of got like superpowers in a sense. So they just kind of want to go in the flow. And they don't want to be intolerant. But that's where we get what we get. Guys, the unbeliever looks at this and goes, are you kidding me? Hmm. That's the reality. What's the reality regarding prophecy, though? Remember, we've talked about prophecy. We define the gift of prophecy. Either it's option one to you, that is the gift to proclaim the word of God effectively. So it does not involve new revelation. So some would say the gift of prophecy still continues on. Like John MacArthur teaches, the believers today with the gift of prophecy are empowered to speak forth, not according to their personal subjective faith, but according to God's already revealed objective faith. I would call that the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation. The other option would be the gift of proclaiming God's special revelation. God has spoken to me and I am declaring what God says. And in, the, in Corinth, remember it was written about 55 A.D., all right, the rest of the, the, you have John and whatnot that's written around 90 AD. There is this time frame that they did not have the completed canon of Scripture. Uh, just because you were at Philippi and you got Paul's letter to you doesn't mean the Corinthians got that letter. And so God would truly speak to individuals and they would say, thus saith the Lord. And there was a time and a place in their church service where it was appropriate to do that. Okay. Well, we don't do that anymore because we have the completed canon of Scripture right here, okay? But in Corinth, the reality was that it was actually edifying. Prophecy is for a sign, but not to believers, but to those who believe. We kind of think the other way around, right? Hey, 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 predict something and then I'll believe. Oh, it came true. Well, look, guys, you know how many prophecies that are legitimate, true prophecies that came true and people still did not believe them. But for the believer, we receive confirmation and attestation that this is God's word and his truth, but it is to those who believe. What's the proper priority of prophecy? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, here we go, he's convicted by all. 
And he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. So he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. So here the unbeliever shows up. They are prioritizing the correct spiritual gift, the, the very word of God. And the word of God calls to account, shows them their sinfulness and their need of a savior. And the secrets of his heart, his deception, his lies, who he really is in light of a, a, a holy and righteous God is revealed. And he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Guys, the word of God. It's active and living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so while we still do not have the gift of prophecy, I take the gift of prophecy that has been recorded and I simply teach it to you. And the unbeliever can hear and understand and believe if the Holy Spirit works in them and calls them to themselves. I want you to go to Acts 2. Okay, we got to go to Acts 2 because these two come together. These two come together. And I'm going to read a little bit, so hold on, follow with me. I want, you, I want you to see how these connect. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. Now, again, those on the other side of the charismatic movement. Again, and there, are, there are good and godly men and women that love Jesus that believe that. They would say, look, this is kind of a normal thing. This is what should happen. And we would say God did something amazing by giving the Holy Spirit. Can you see the Spirit? No. So can you see the wind? No, but you can feel the wind. So he did something. Whoosh, so that we knew that it happened. And the tongues confirmed that this actually happened. Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together. And they were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? And I won't read all of those names because I can't pronounce all of those names. Verse 11, Cretans and Arabs, I can get those too. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of what? The mighty deeds of God. Don't let that be lost. They're not just saying stuff to say stuff. It wasn't the, the tongue that made them go, wow, they can speak my language. That's amazing. The tongue was communicating the revealed word of God. And they all continued in amazement and great complexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Why? Because their understanding from the Old Testament, what did they associate tongues with? Judgment. Condemnation. What are we being judged for? What are we? Oh, we killed the Son of Glory. We crucified Christ. But look at verse 13. Remember in Isaiah, said, I'll speak with you in tongues, but some will not believe. Verse 13, but others were mocking and saying, they're full of sweet wine. Look, they're drunk. 
That's what's going on here. They're excusing what's happening. But Peter, he's not going to let that stand. Taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Now when he says my words, what's he really meaning here? The words that God has given to me. Because he followed Jesus. He loved Jesus. He learned from Jesus. And now he's going to take the very word of God and give it to them. For these men are not drunk as you suppose. For it is only the third hour of the day. 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my bond slaves both men and women I will in those days pour, uh, pour forth of my spirit they shall prophesy and I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come and it shall be that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now some of this hasn't happened yet but it will. But here we have via the gift of tongues God's truth is being communicated. Men of Israel listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourself know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Skip down to verse 29. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to stay. Well, what happened? In verses 25 through 28, he gives them prophecy. And then he explains the prophecy. Verse 30. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ so that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth that which you see and hear. He's given them the rundown. Remember in verse 12 when they said, what does this mean? Peter said, well, I'm glad you're listening now. I'm glad I have your attention. Because I am now going to declare to you the very word of God. Verse 34, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The unbeliever, attention was gotten through the gift of tongues. And the gift of prophecy seals the deal. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. They were pierced to the heart. Guys, look at this. 
Prophecy convicts. Prophecy calls to account. Prophecy, the secrets of his heart are disclosed so that he will what? Fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Well, what happens here? They were pierced to the heart. And Peter and the rest of the disciples, they said, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Verse 41, so then those who had received his word were baptized and that day were added about 3,000 souls. It's amazing. You see, God is really good at whatever he does. You know, some of those people that whatever they do, they end up being good at. Well, whatever God does, he does perfectly. And so he left witnesses that were directly trained by Jesus to carry on the message, to record the word of God, and to establish the church. He also gave the church gifts, some to continue on, some to be there for a short period of time to accomplish this very thing. And we must do things how God wants them to be done. That's our response to this. What is the outcome then, brethren? What's the reality regarding their assembling? Let all things be done for edification. Let all things be done for edification. When you assemble, each has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has, a, has an interpretation. Let all be, things be done for edification. Well, how does that done? Or what do you mean? Look, if anyone has a tongue, it should be by two or three at the most. And each in turn, and one must interpret. Look, guys, okay, you got a tongue. Come on up, you got the stage. And we don't need to be here all day. We don't need everybody to do it, one or two. And if you do have it, then you need to bring what with you? You need to bring someone that can interpret. No interpreter, no tongue. No interpreter, no tongue. It needs to be how God has designed. And here's the argument as well. To our charismatic friends, is this what they do in their church service? No. So they are in violation of God's revealed word. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. The blueprint for tongues is right there. One of the strongest indictments of the modern charismatic movement, John MacArthur says, is the common practice of many persons speaking, praying, and singing at the same time, with no one paying attention to what others are saying or doing. I would compare it to, you might not experience this very much, but sometimes when you pray with people and you have the yes people, yes, Lord, yes, Jesus, Jesus, yes, Lord, Jesus. And I'm like, I, oh, all I can think about is you saying, yes, Lord, Jesus. I do not understand anything. I'm not saying that you can't do that. But when someone is, is, is praying, imagine if everyone in the church is like, yes, Tom, yes, yes, preach it, preach it, yes, yes, yes. Well, then it's like, I, I can't hear. I need to engage the mind. And that's what was going on in this church. But then you also have the blueprint for prophecy. Let two or three prophets speak. <laughs> and let the others pass judgment. Well, if I get to prophesy, but no one judges me, I'm more inclined to do it. But let's hear what you have to say, and then we're going to take the word of God, 
and we're going to make sure that there's nothing that conflicts here. We're going to pass judgment on that. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophecy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. He's not saying that every individual. He's saying all those that have the gift. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace in all the churches of the saints. The churches that regularly practice the charismatic gifts is their service orderly. Is it orderly? Does it follow the blueprint that is done? When we do this the way that God wants us to do what we do, he is glorified. The people are, can listen. Their mind is undivided and they worship as one people. He also goes on and he gives us the blueprint for women. And you're like, well, why is this kind of random? You just threw this baby in here. We're still talking about the church service and things being done accordingly. The women are to keep silent in the churches. Okay, so I'm sorry. If any of you girls talk today, you're in sin. Look, I'm... There's people that take it that far. Look, you can't, you can't, no talking. We're talking about the church service, okay? Talking about the church service. For they are not permitted to speak, but are subject themselves, just as the Lord also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husband at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? So we go back to Genesis 3, and we don't have time to look at it. It says that the Eve's desire will be for her husband or the woman's desire will be. Well, a lot would believe that it is, it's natural as far as to give into that sinful temptation for women to usurp the roles that are given to men. Men and women are equal in Christ, but there's different and there's different roles. Men tend to pull back and not take on roles of leadership. I don't want that responsibility. I don't want that hard work. I just want to play video games all day and I don't, I don't want to do those things. I don't want to lead my family. So what happens? There's a vacuum there and so the women step in. They see the need and they want to meet the need but there's also this God's role in the church and at times women could seek to usurp that role that is there that is not for them. I want you to go to 1 Timothy 2. Paul, again, gives us clear instructions on what this really looks like. And in our society today, we do have a lot of misuse of the sign gifts and things along those lines. But we have a lot of churches that now have women pastors. And they have women teachers. And they'll look at 1 Timothy 2 and they'll say, well, that's ancient and doesn't apply. Oh, well, what about... Um, Forgiveness through the blood of Christ. Is that ancient and doesn't apply? It's going to pick and choose what you want here? It says, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. So it's not saying you can't talk. It's saying that the role is, is, is to learn here. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority of a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. This is the natural order of what it is. It's not saying that you can't have women in the choir. It's not saying that you can't have women that are doing a special song or something like that, okay? There is a submissiveness to the roles and the design that God has given. So here we are in Corinth. Obviously, there are some different things happening, right? 
And so he's saying, look, here the, here's the blueprint for the church service when you get together. And I'm really going to need you guys to follow that one. I'm going to need you to follow that one. Well, how do, we, how do we wrap this up? We look at verses 37 through 40. If you are what you say you are, you'll obey God's instructions from chapter 14. Right? You say you love Jesus. You say you're a Christian. You say you believe that the Bible is the word of God. Okay, look at verse 37. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. Okay, you think you have the gift of prophecy? You think you have the spiritual gift of tongues? Let's go back to the rest of chapter 14. Are you doing it that way? Oh no? Then you're not obeying the Lord. If you refuse to obey God's instructions from chapter 14, then you prove yourself to be false. Verse 38. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. And it goes on. It goes on to the same thing that if there's a woman wanting to be a pastor or a woman wanting to be a teacher of men, same thing. You won't submit to the very word of God. God is not calling you and using you for the role you think he is. Use the gifts that God has given you the way that he wants you to use them. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. And remember, you're like, yes. It's talking about the plural you. Y'all, your church, elevate prophecy. And do not forbid to speak in tongues. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. And if someone wants to speak in a tongue and it's not orderly and it's not according to this, then it doesn't happen, right? Our question we have to ask ourselves is, do we trust the Word of God? And if you simply study and trust the Word of God, doesn't this all make more sense now? Doesn't this help us understand these things? Strive to submit to God and His Word in whatever role or capacity He has for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's so much to learn here. So much that you teach us. And I hope that we can all take some time and zoom out and see how awesome you are. Your plan, your design, prophecy, tongues, gifts, the church. Things we could never think of ourselves. And your greatest plan, Lord, was that you would send your son Jesus to live a perfect life and die on the cross for our sins. Pray that we would glorify Christ with our life and that we would follow you always. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.